This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and this is Next Question. In a new movie, a woman finds herself in desperate need of an abortion. The problem is she can't get one. Her doctor isn't allowed to perform the procedure. The hospital won't even grant her a medical exemption. And if she can't find an alternative, she may very well die. You'd be forgiven for assuming this is a contemporary movie ripped from our 2022 headlines about the very real consequences of the tidal wave of abortion bans that went into effect after the Supreme Court reversed the Roe v. Wade decision back in June. This new movie is called Call Jane, and it takes place in 1968, five years before Roe was enacted. The woman is Joy, played by Elizabeth Banks, a well-to-do suburban housewife who, in a moment of hopelessness, comes across a flyer that says, pregnant, anxious, call Jane. And that phone call propels the rest of the movie. So, um... Which one of you is Jane? <laughs> Nobody's Jane. We're all Jane. Virginia started it. Help yourself. Uh, I didn't mean to. A friend called. I found her a safe doctor. And then her friend called. And then her friend's friend. And uh, here we are. The Janes were a real-life group that emerged in the 1960s to secretly help women around Chicago get safe abortions. Their clandestine work was the focus of a recent documentary called The Janes. You can and should stream it now on HBO Max. I interviewed the filmmakers and some of the Janes for my abortion podcast series, which you should also check out. Call Jane is a fictionalized telling of their story. It's funnier than you expect, but also incredibly thoughtful and intimate. And I got the chance to talk about all of it with the movie's director, Phyllis Naj and its star, Elizabeth Banks. Here's our conversation. This film was so fun for me because, well, fun is probably not the right word, but interesting because in 1968, I was 11 years old. And I remember, I was old enough to remember a lot from that period of time, but it still infuriated me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, the film or the time period being or being 11? Be, no, the time period, 1968, just, I mean, just how limited uh, the opportunities were for women and how backwards uh, the culture was. And I think this is going to be a good reminder for a lot of people who don't appreciate not that long ago that women were so so limited in terms of their opportunities. Was that shocking to you at, at, at all, Elizabeth, as probably the youngest person on this Zoom? <laughs> um, it was not shocking to me. You know, I'm, I'm an activist in this space. I work with the Center for Reproductive Rights. I have for quite some time. And um, I think I've been aware of the pre-Roe situation. I also have a, I have a mom who is very, both my parents, very politically active. So I grew up in a politically active home and, you know, women's rights have been something that I, for me as a sort of ambitious young woman, you know, you can't not think about those things. 1968, I mean, women couldn't, I don't think you could get divorced without cause. Even if your husband beat you, you couldn't get a mortgage without somebody's signature. You know, there was, the, the, the idea that we're going backwards right now is very scary to me, for sure, for my own kids, because now I'm now I now have kids. Yeah. You know, intellectually, of course, I realized what was happening then. But for some reason, to see it played out in a movie and to <laughs> see all the nuanced and less than nuanced sexism that existed was still somewhat jolting to me. The film is so great. First of all, Phyllis and Elizabeth, congratulations. And and Elizabeth, I know that you were attached to the movie before Phyllis got involved. Tell me why you were attracted to this movie in the first place and to the role of Joy. Yeah, it was a great script from the from jump. You know, the, the Jane Collective, which is a real group of women in Chicago in the late 60s, is the the jumping off point, the inspiration for Call Jane. And I didn't know anything about them before I read this script. And I'm constantly fascinated by what I do learn from reading Hollywood scripts. <laughs> this was one of those eye-opening experiences where I really thought uh, it just captured, for me, a character who was coming of age at 40 years old. And I thought I had not read that in a really long time, something like that. Really, you know, that to me felt like the arc or the opportunity with this character because the decision to have the abortion is very life affirming for her in many ways and positive in all ways for her, right? There, there's no doubt in her mind that she wants to live to parent the daughter she already has. And because she's still got a lot to do with her time, you know, it really wakes her up. We should just mention that she had a heart condition that was brought on by the pregnancy That's and right. there was a chance she might die if she carried the baby to term. Yeah, it's a good reminder that pregnancy is fairly dangerous for a lot of women, actually. <laughs> the mortality rate in our country is not awesome. So um, just a good reminder there. But I just felt like it was a way to invite a lot of women into Joy's story and into the story of the Janes through this character who I think um, is very relatable to a lot of people. You know, I interviewed the women behind the documentary, The Janes, so I feel like I had a good foundation to watch this film. And Phyllis, tell me how you were able to shape it, because I know 
my understanding is Joy is a compilation of characters sort of from that era, from sort of the world of the Janes. Why did you feel like Joy should be the conduit from which the story was told? I think Joy was always the central character of the narrative, but it was, I think it's fair to say, if I'm remembering this correctly, Elizabeth, it was more of a mosaic of Mm. character, organization, etc. And what I realized is that Joy Griffin is a very useful stand-in for us. She's a very useful guide through this in a particular way. So when I was thinking about, well, what makes this so special? And how is Joy's story so special? She discovers the power of collectivism. It's not that she was you know, just sitting at home thinking about nothing. She (laughs) helps her husband. Um, She's his best editor. She's a smart woman. But I think she made a choice. Film is all about choice. She made a choice to devote herself to her family, which is a good choice. But now she has to make a different choice because her life, due to the cardiomyopathy, which, by the way, wasn't uncommon. It was uncommon in the first trimester, maybe, which is when Joy has it, but it's something that friends of mine have today when they get pregnant, some of them. We just can deal with it better than saying to a woman, hey, you've got a 50% chance of survival, (laughs) and that's good enough, you know? Um, But Joy finds her, rediscovers, I'm going to say, her purpose through a collective. And isn't it great that this collective is a group of women who figure out how to solve a problem without fuss, with some um, fraught, tense moments, because you put any group of women together and they're gonna, they're gonna all have a say, right? And that's exactly what we wanted to show. And I think, you know, we pretty much uh, were able to do that. The power of being together rather than being alone. Mm -hmm. is what sets Joy on her way and allows us to be her, I think, too. This was your feature-length directorial debut, Phyllis. And, of course, you wrote the critically acclaimed movie Carol that came out in 2015, another period drama. Why was Call Jane a good fit for you? Why was this something you wanted to devote your time to? Well, I've always... I've always... um, been interested in addressing problems through period because I think we can talk about things that are important to us today in a way that's not encumbered by all the stuff and all the the nonsense that we have to filter it through today. So Carol certainly was like that. It was addressing an issue through a period called Jane was like that. And really, I saw the chance to make something entertaining with Call Jane, which it is, I think, or at least we want it to be entertaining. I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> We're glad. And um, it's it's addressing it in a way that I don't think the issues have been addressed before on film. We have a huge number of very good films about abortion, about women's rights, combining the two. But my interest in a lightness of touch, in comedy, in 
having um, actors who are able to walk that line as beautifully as they do. I'm going to talk about you now, Elizabeth, Elizabeth and Sigourney and uh, Wumi and everyone else who was in it. It gave us a chance to speak to people beyond the people we already knew agreed with us. And for me, that's what film and all art is about, reaching out to people other than your own. I wondered about that, honestly, when I watched it. Of course, I loved it. I feel very strongly about reproductive rights. My mom volunteered at Planned Parenthood when I was a younger, and um, it's just certainly something that I have always cared deeply about. But I wondered if people who didn't agree, who don't feel strongly, who don't realize just what's at stake, in our country, as Elizabeth, you suggested, we, we're going backwards. I wondered if they would watch this film. And I'm curious, Elizabeth, what you think, because I know you all tried not to make it preachy, make it entertaining, have really strong characters. I mean, it's quite graphic and at, at times, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But do you think that it will appeal widely to people who don't feel passionately about this issue? My hope is that, it, that the movie inspires lots of people, you know, lots of different types of audience members. I find, you know, when I, I don't want to just watch things that align with my value system. You know, I don't even know what that means. I'm looking to be entertained and to relate to a story. And it's really why I felt like this for me, especially making it personal about Joy, her character, her journey, you know, that, that it felt um, relatable to really anybody. And I think the circumstances that she finds herself in are, first of all, very normal. They're not uncommon. And I also want to remind you and remind anybody who's listening that, you know, abortion in America is not particularly controversial. Um, I always feel like we feel like we have to defend our side as if we're like on the back foot when in fact the majority of Americans think that abortion should be safe and legal. And uh, so this film is not particularly, um, you know, combative or uh, uh, controversial in any way in that we are presenting a reality for women in 1968 Chicago, 1969 Chicago, um, before Roe happened. I think presenting an actual picture of a way of life that many activist women right now in states around the country that don't have abortion access have been living for months and years now, you know? There are women uh, helping other women in collectives, in activist ways all over the country right now. Phyllis, how did you approach it in a way that it didn't seem too preachy or that it was compelling and thought-provoking and provocative, but in the best possible way. <laughs> well, I like to think that I, I understand the other side of the argument, which was always important to us. I don't come from a family of activists or people who particularly agree with the point of view that I think is strong in the film, but not uh, uh, it doesn't ask you to agree with it. 
So I understand, I think, what the fears of people are, what they think about, what the misconceptions are. And I also know that humor is the thing, humor and truth are an honesty and a simple approach to saying, okay, let us show an entire abortion procedure. Before I started, I knew this was necessary, but I didn't know that I've never seen a film in which the entire procedure was just laid out right there. And it's not as if we are um, using a camera inside the woman or, you know, seeing blood. We don't see any of that. And yet it is when I watch it with people still the part where they will put their hand over their eyes. I did. I did. Yeah, I did. (laughs) Because it's that intimate. It's intimate. And it's and it's honest in his portrayal. It's just this is the facts. This is not glossed. And yet it's not also, um, you know, a horror movie. It's not it's not um, focusing on the misery of the procedure just the normal, it's a normal medical procedure. And so this is how I think it can relate to people on uh, various sides, because I think it's more than just a black and white issue. I think there are people in the middle who on one day think it's fine, on the next day don't. And I hope this film speaks to that person most of all. Because I think if you're going to, not change hearts and minds, but affect a heart or a mind. It's in that area that it will happen. Um, If we can get one person to say, you know, I never thought about it in that way. That's great. That's a victory. You mentioned humor and Sigourney Weaver is really a character and a character in the film. And Elizabeth, I'm curious what it was like if you had worked with Sigourney before, if you knew her and what you think she added to the film. I had never met Sigourney before um, before she showed up on set. Um, we we had a dinner the first night together and just got on like a house on fire. And, yeah. um, you know, she is, first of all, one of my idols, um, not just as an actor, but as a, as a woman, as a survivor in Hollywood. Um, I think, you know, she's made some of my favorite movies, Working Girl, top of the list probably. And then Ripley, of course, you know, she changed the face of action heroes. Um, I think that she, she's a, <laughs> I, I, this is something I hope to be someday. And uh, so take this with a compliment, Sig, if you hear this, but she's just a broad. She is a just down home broad who like, you know, gets to work, knows the grindstone, goes about her daily business and just, you know, is like full of, just a sense of confidence. And I think that's what the character needed. I don't agree with what you're saying. That girl? What about her? She's having sex without protection. She's sleeping with a married man who paid for the procedure. She's so (laughs) unconcerned. We help women. We don't ask questions. And if we judged everyone by how they present themselves, I might write you off as a lightweight housewife who bakes mediocre snickerdoodles and gets plastered on four o'clock martinis. Sigourney is, is, uh, plays Virginia, 
who's really kind of the heart and soul and I guess the organizer of the Janes who starts everything going and well in the film she's kind of abroad she's tough yeah she's funny but she's also tender by the way and there's a particular funny scene where she's asked you to explain basically the birds and the bees or sex to this young teenage girl who who needs an abortion and you can't do it because you're <laughs> repressed like a lot of women from your from uh, Joy's generation and Virginia and Virginia aka Sigourney just grabs the the pad and starts drawing the yeah. The labia and the uterus. The vulva. And, and, yeah. and the, that's right. She names the it all. The whole nine yards. Yeah. That's right. You, you should see those drawings, by the way. They were hilarious. <laughs> I hope you <laughs> saved them. They're somewhere. Phyllis, did you save those drawings? Yeah, I think I have a couple of them. And they actually did look like rabbits. Some of them. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, but yeah. She, she added a lot. And as you said, she was a great foil for joy. She really, she's a, like myself in the movie. She's a compilation of a bunch of characters, you know, that Jane's had m sort of many leaders. It really was a collective. Um, but, you know, I think for the purposes of telling a story like this, you do want to just sort of, you know, make, put all of that into a character like, um, like Virginia. But she really represented activism generally at that time period too. I, you know, um, Phyllis, Phyllis was alive then too and remembers those things and I and brought so much um I think Phyllis you can speak to this your own experience as like a young person in a, in that time period in America which was civil rights and women's rights and it you know and and Vietnam it was just roiling back then. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean I was a young child, but I grew up in St. Mark's place in the East Village where my parents were the superintendents of an apartment building. And I remember, and this is where some things filter their way in through the film. I went to a Catholic school and we were uh, at lessons the day after Nixon won the 68 election. And the nun ran into the classroom and said, Nixon won. And all of us little kids, we just started applauding because our parents had voted for him. And I'll never forget the lay teacher there looked at us. And we were like, you know, seven, eight years old. She said, you're all going to hell and your parents too. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess she was right, you know. I mean, we, but, but it's funny, the experiences of seeing... Um, the yippies, I guess they were hippies and yippies running barefoot through the streets. They have filtered somehow into Call Jane in my tiny consciousness at the time. You know, the film is full of images that I remember from that period. When we come back, we'll dive into one scene that'll get your blood boiling, which is exactly the point. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. 
So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. There was one scene in particular that really made me mad. And that, of course, was the hospital board meeting Joy and her husband to get permission for a medically necessary abortion. Dr. Fa. Oh, hi. How are you? Good. Hello. Um, I baked cookies. Uh, gentlemen, you're all familiar with the details of this case. Mrs. Griffin has petitioned the board to make an exception to hospital policy so that she might proceed to an emergency termination of her pregnancy. This was not an unusual occurrence. What was unusual is that probably Joy wouldn't have been there. This yeah. is a bit of dramatic license. But I knew how important that was and how important um, casting the two men who have actual lines were. <laughs> I mean, we got real actors, great actors for that. She understands that this request is extraordinary? She does, yes. Is there a chance that she can survive the pregnancy? A chance? Of course. Percentage of patients who survive a pregnancy with this condition? It's difficult to say. Maybe 50%. Is there a percentage that would sway you? 20%? 30%? This hospital has approved termination of pregnancy once in the past 10 years. Was Mrs. Griffin aware of that? No, she was not. I'm... I'm here. I'm I'm right here. And and that I think I could see Elizabeth as we did take after take getting madder and madder. <laughs> which was fantastic. And Chris Messina who plays Joy's husband um being more and more bewildered by, you know, uh, being torn as I think men were at the time. I am comfortable with the data compiled in such cases, full-term pregnancy, resulting in the birth of a healthy child. Well within reason for such a patient, therefore I vote no to the termination, gentlemen. A healthy baby, that's it. No regard for her mother. No. 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 But it was necessary to have that scene play out with as little melodrama as possible so that people could get angry. You know, you can't have a bunch of people in the room getting heated. And then you, as an audience receiving it, need to feel those emotions yourself. I think the scene on the page ends with them walking out. And I do like that she takes her cookies. That is that is magnificent. <laughs> the cookies for me really were about 
Joy's naivete in the moment, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. she just thought, well, obviously, I mean, I want to live. My husband wants me to live. We, we together as a family have made a decision and we want this. And, we, and by the way, we're kind of a privileged couple who's, you know, my husband's a fancy lawyer. We're used to getting our way. And I, I just love that this was a woman who kind of was put in her place in a way in that, you know, if, if this woman couldn't access this, nobody has hope. Do you know what I mean? Like this very privileged white rich lady can't get this in, you know, we have to figure this out. And I, I like that. Um, so the cookies for me were just her innocence just gone. At the end. You mentioned sort of a privileged white couple. And I want to ask you a little bit about the role of race in this film, because Gwen who is played by Wumi Masaku, is the only Black woman who's a member of the Janes. And I thought it was interesting for her to bring up the fact that when economics, economics always affect Black women, I'm paraphrasing here. Talk about your decision to kind of bring that into the conversation and why it was so important to you, Phyllis. Well, I when in my reading about the Janes, there's there were um, a couple of books and some newspaper articles about it, but even in the in those books, it was clear that you know the Janes were largely a young group of college students and some slightly older. Um, women with movement husbands, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. We didn't use them in this, but, you know, there were a couple lawyers um, who were helping out. And by the way, I just want to just inter- interject one quick thing. Members of the Catholic Church, and I so mm-hmm. appreciated you featuring a nun, because I think there are many people who don't realize how instrumental members of the Catholic Church were in the effort to provide safe, somewhat safe abortions to women who are in this situation. So thank you for providing that context for people, because it's something I didn't know about until I saw the documentary. Yeah, they were there. And as I was reading about it, I knew that we needed to be um, scrupulously correct about certain things. And one of them was how the makeup of the group changed, how it evolved. So there was a core Black member of the Janes. And I think, it, you know, if you've seen the documentary, you know how, um, you know, the kinds of issues that she had to deal with, just being someone who is advocating for free or lower cost abortions, who could afford that? Certainly not poor black and brown women. So Gwen in our movie, um, while I think that she is absolutely a flesh and blood character, um, also um, is a representative of the kinds of problems that were inherent in groups like this and how to address those within the context of a narrative fiction feature film entertainment took a long time to sort out. 
It's interesting how economics always seems to mean that black women get screwed. We're screwing plenty of white women, if that makes you feel any better. Please, can we not make this about race? Look around the room, Virginia. We are a bunch of white ladies, yes. You know that's not the intent. I don't care about intent. I care about results. You did not try hard enough with the Panther sisters, and then you insulted the Black Feminist Alliance. They were batshit, screaming at me about abortion and Black They genocide. are not batshit. God, I knew you would do this. I just, how can you still be so oblivious? As the Janes went on, so we cover the period of 1968, pretty much. Once they learned to do their own procedures, the group opened up because, of course, they could afford to. Right. They were giving abortions for free or for what you can pay. And that's when the complexion of the group literally changed some, uh, quite a lot. And we, we only have a very brief moment of time with the changed uh, complexion, but we do try to reflect that in the last scenes. Um, like maybe one day we'll make a 15 hour <laughs> Jane yeah. TV show. Um, but I think um, given the period, given what we were trying to get right, I, I, I hope it, it addresses those things efficiently in a way that features can address them. And, you know, to this day, these kinds of health disparities exist, Elizabeth, as you well know, in terms of women of color and having access to abortion, uh, in terms of maternal mortality. Black women are three to four times more likely to die as a result of childbirth than, than white women. So they still exist to this day. And I imagine that was an important aspect of this conversation for you to make sure was a part of this film. For sure. I think the intersectionality of all of this is always important to, to acknowledge. You know, I, I also think we can always do better. This moment in this film and this story is, is you know, the best we could do with this moment. Right. Um, there's always more to be done. And I think that's true of, you know, most of these issues. Um, but yes, it is very clear that whenever women are oppressed, black and brown women, they take the brunt of it much worse. After the break, abortion and the midterms. Can Call Jane make an impact on undecided voters? That's right after this. This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So, what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. I wanted to ask you all sort of as we we begin to wrap up about the impact of this film or just your thoughts on the upcoming midterm elections. I've been obsessively checking polls <laughs> and looking at at sort of what is likely to happen and who knows how accurate polls are. That's a whole, a, a whole other podcast. But it seems like abortion has already receded slightly in the public consciousness and has been overtaken by pocketbook issues like gas mm-hmm. prices and inflation. And I hope people understand sort of what's at stake, but it's, I'm worried they don't. <laughs> I'm worried they don't. So I, I can't imagine a bigger pocketbook issue for people than raising kids. I mean, at least in my house, <laughs> that's what we talk about. Um, you know, I, abortion as an economic issue is not brought up very often enough for my taste. You know, to me, it's all economics. As a young person investing in myself in college and grad school and my early life, it's like, you know, an unwanted pregnancy would have derailed all of that and made that investment insane and, and then puts a whole other economic burden on me. So I, I think t- talking about how the how also the abortion bans in these states are requiring travel and time off of work and, you know, all of these economic burdens on on women. That's a very good point. Honestly, I don't think that's raised enough. I, I, I can't I don't understand why we don't um, conflate these two things. They are inextricably linked, uh, you know, abortion and economics. So especially. Yeah. So I, I, I find it fascinating that somehow people are even able to um, separate these two things, but we do. And um, I think it's a mistake. I also think, you know, to put much stock in polls after what (laughs) happened in 2016, you know, uh, I don't. I also don't think the pollsters sometimes are going deep enough into the electorate. And perhaps- Also, there's a big question about how forthcoming- certain members of the electorate are in terms of trusting pollsters. And also, quite frankly, it's much more complicated to reach people when, you know, the era of landlines um, is pretty much gone. That's right. So perhaps it's naive, but I'm willing to place a small bet on, (laughs) on this issue being a very powerful driver of a certain population that is traditionally discounted by pollsters. That'd be my hope too. I, I'm also very hopeful that young women, especially, um, you know, really uh, are taking to heart the I, just the notion that they have fewer rights, that my own kids have fewer rights to control their destinies and their lives um, than six months ago is just that it's so un-American to me. (laughs) You know, my, the panel I interviewed said the most vocal group, I was surprised at this and I haven't been able to check the veracity of this claim, but that young men are the most adamant 
about reproductive rights. And I think the big question is, will they turn out? Will they be motivated? I think it's a great point. I have two sons. People ask me, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's a women's issue. And I say, this is about my two sons. I don't want my boys to become parents before they're ready. Um, and, and you know, I, I, there's a rise in vasectomies across America I right know, now. I know. <laughs> and for good reason. You know, you, who wants to put a woman in jail for having a great time, you know? I, I'm I'm pleased to hear um, that trend for young men. Uh, I think it's right. They don't want to be dads before they're before they're ready. There are so many dramatic moments in this film, and sort of as we say goodbye to both of you, are there any favorite moments for each of you that you feel really encapsulate what you were trying to convey in this movie? Phyllis, I'll start with you. Wow. Um, I, I, I think of um, the one scene that that I keep going back to is the scene towards the end of the movie with Elizabeth Joy, her husband and the detective who come in and within the space of 10 minutes without giving too much away, entire worlds unravel and rugs are pulled out from under the furniture. And it just represents the complexity of what we've been dealing with for the previous hour and a bit, I think pretty much as well as any any moments in the film for me. I would say for me, I think the mythology around abortion is something super scary that women should be afraid of. Um, dispelling that myth in the film really mattered to me. You know, making it something that is normal, easy, everyday, not too stressful, that women right now, more than half of all abortions are self-managed at home with two pills. And I think that, you know, that's the progress that we've made. We've put, we've literally, it's not surprising to me that there is this backlash when we've given the power and control over abortion right into a woman's house, right? When before it was like, well, you had to have a doctor and it was really scary and you had to get a permission slip from your person. And, you know, right. And it's like, no, actually, we got it. We're good. We can do it. It's no problem. And um, and most women that, that that's how they prefer to do it privately and on their own. I think that's that's uh, that made me very happy to dispel that myth. We also did a six part series on abortion as a Thank part you of for this that, podcast. by the way, Katie. Oh, yeah. well, you're welcome. Thank Lauren, who's on this Zoom. Although <laughs> you, you can't Lauren. see her, she works so hard on it. But I was also surprised that the majority of women who have abortions are, are mothers. women. Mar- mothers, married mothers. with children. Correct. It's family planning. That's what you have. We, you know, I think that gets overlooked a lot. And it's about making sure that they have the resources. I know I feel this way every day <laughs> as a working mom. Do I have enough mental, emotional, physical resources for the children I have and to feel like a whole person? And financial, you yeah. Know? Yeah, and financial and to feel like the whole, a whole person as well. And so it is, it's about family planning and making sure that you have wanted children that you planned for. Well, Phyllis and Elizabeth, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and having this conversation. I hope a lot of people go and see the movie. I hope they go and see it 
before they vote. I hope they vote. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, maybe they'll be motivated to vote after they see the film. But congratulations. I thought it was really, really well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Katie, for Thanks featuring for having us. Call mm -hmm. Jane. And for all your work on reproductive justice. Thank you. Call Jane is in select theaters starting this Friday. And for more context on abortion access in America, you can find my six-part podcast series, Abortion, the Body Politic, right here on my Next Question feed. Just scroll down a bit. Or by searching any of your podcast apps. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.